1: Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 21. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Joel Quartermain from Eskimo Joe. The band have just released their new single entitled 99 Ways, which is the follow-up to last year's single, Say Something. In today's episode, we talk about the magic of hindsight in a band, a new Eskimo Joe full-length album, and writing ballads with G Flip. Here we go. Our guest today is one third of Perth band Eskimo Joe. When he's not with Kevin Stew, he can be found as a session writer, working with acts such as Meg Mac and Fergus James. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, from Eskimo Joe, Joel Quartermain. Hello, Joel.
0: Hey, Simon. How's it going?
1: Good. Thank you, mate. What about yourself?
0: I'm good, man. Good. Monday morning. No Monday-itis, <laughs> so it's, it's looking good.
1: That's always very helpful, always helpful. Um, Congratulations on the the new single for Eskimo Joe, 99 Ways. It's out at the moment. It is out now. Um, This song was written uh, as, uh, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong, either an ode to lockdown or it's a bit of a a lockdown love song. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I guess it is a uh, a lockdown love song. Um, It's kind of about the longing that comes with being separated from your, you know, your other half um, in circumstances that were topical at the time. So, um, you know, my family had quarantined for two weeks in a hotel upon getting an exemption to get back to WA from Melbourne. And we tried three times. We got finally got allowed. Um, and then flew to Perth and then myself and my partner with our two-year-old did um, two weeks of quarantine and also Cav um, from Eskimo Joe had had to lock himself in a room apart from his family because right at the dawn of COVID they were flying back from LA and he, when they got back, he was experiencing some symptoms and so had to isolate himself still in the family house. I don't know. I think COVID was so young at that point that there were no rules in place. It was so, a very uncertain um, time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think he he wrote a song in his um, self-imposed isolation um, and sent it on to me and the first verse was what, has become the first half of the chorus as it is in the song now. Um, so I kind of heard that and went. this, this bit right at the front, this verse thing sounds like a a sick chorus and really fertile sort of lyrically to write something around. Maybe if we consider that like the, the chorus and then we wrote a whole new song around that, um, so we just took that one bit, and then after I got out of um, quarantine in Perth, Cav and I started working on this song, and we did the, you know, we kind of um, walked around trying to figure out what we were going to write a song about um, with that lyric that's kind of non-specific. Um, Ninety-nine ways to pull my body apart, but there's only one way that you can break my heart like, what, what, are we, what are we writing about and it was very much obviously a, a topical thing and in the air and something he'd experienced and something pretty much you know most people in the world at the moment at some point during this 2020 was separated from if not their partner then you know their extended family or whatever it is they, they the option was taken away to to be with them you know and and that's kind of what what we decided to write this song about
1: yeah definitely um did you find and I imagine that for a a range of artists it might be a similar thing that um when writing and having obviously COVID as the most glaring um uh inspiration Mm. I guess is one way to put it um for 2020 was it difficult not just this song but for other songs to um not always kind of have COVID as an inspiration or did you find yourself with like 10, 20 songs about uh, lockdown or, or, yeah, a pandemic?
0: I felt like at the start when, because um, I work with lots of different artists on on uh, writing songs, um, you, you're just so used to being in the room together and that, you know, that process, it, it's almost fundamental to it because you can, you can feel the temperature in the room change when something good happens or when something great's about to happen and, and and having to move to do writing songs with people like this online in two dimensions on other sides of the planet or, or other sides of the country or whatever it is, it takes away that, um, you know, reading the ability to read the room, you know, like, and, and go with a feeling. Once the feeling starts happening, it makes that, that much harder like we were thinking about it like it's almost like resistance training it's like running in sand kind of thing <laughs> um to, to to write a song um but so at the start of all of that when we're starting to write songs online with people it was pretty difficult to avoid that being the topic you know that or that You know the current situation being the topic, and and especially when it's something that everyone in the world can empathise with, because when you're writing in a a song, I guess you're trying to tap into empathy, really. Yeah, it's like what what's going on for you, how that, how the human, you know, the human experience is common, and even if you're writing a song that's about a personal thing. If it's a human thing, you know that other people are going to relate to that or have, you know, similar situations, similar feelings. Um, So with the COVID thing, uh, when that first happened, it actually felt like uh, in Melbourne anyway where it hit pretty hard, you're walking down the street and you walk past a stranger and for the first time ever, you, you, you'd acknowledge each other and go, hey, how's it going? Because it felt like everyone had something in common. Yeah. And for the for the first time ever, like the same thing, you know, and um, that was pretty pretty amazing and pretty cool. Um, but once Melbourne got to four or five months of being in in severe lockdown, uh, people started to get pretty <laughs> pretty tired and, and the empathy level probably started to <laughs> drop and it was more people looking sideways at each other, um, you know, kind a bit, bit of cabin fevery. Um, but, yeah, I think it was, you, to answer your question, to go back around on that, it was hard not to go go straight there into running about that. But, um, you know, we managed... I work with another guy called Edward White. We've been a bit, made a bit of a production writing team and we managed to write probably 20 songs um, online with different artists during that period. And I'd say probably four or five of them were, were about that. And then, you know, the other 15 or so were just about... Love or whatever, <laughs> whatever, it, whatever it is that was going on in the artist, the artist's life. Really,
1: you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, you've worked with quite a like a, a range of artists in both the songwriting and production kind of um, uh, environment. Was there any? Um, I guess uh, had, had had you had much experience with working remotely before COVID, or did that kind of rush? Uh, along with everyone else catching up to working remotely did that were you i guess yeah had you had previous experience with that or was it something that um you had to learn on the fly with everyone else
0: yeah no experience whatsoever (laughs) because um you know like i was saying before being in the room with people to create music is Is just so important. And, you know, it's, you totally took that for granted because that's how you always did it. Suddenly you're trying to do it in this scenario and there's, you know, there's technical things like a a slight delay. You know, if, if I was um, say playing a guitar and, and sort of workshopping a melody, in a room with someone, I could sing a melody to them while playing guitar and then they could sing that back to me and go, well, how about this or whatever, and it's a very fluid two-way bounce thing. Yeah. Um, whereas online, if I was to do the same and then I'd play guitar and then they'd try to sing the melody back, there's a delay, so it's impossible. So there's a whole nother layer of, okay, I have to record the guitars, send it to them via a link so that they can press play on the link on their laptop and sing over that, and you workshop like that. So we found by the end of like a five, six-hour writing session, you were pretty tired from, you know, switching sides of the brain (laughs) from creative to technical and working across three different platforms like, you know, Pro Tools plus Zoom. Plus, you know, some kind of audio streaming thing. So you could stream at high quality like uh, audio movers listen to or whatever it was. Um, you're kind of working across three things. So you're just, it's full multitasking and it's, but like I said, we were thinking about it like resistance training. The more, the more we did it, the more fluid it became and the more normal it became. And some of the songs that we got out of that period were, were really good, but we've, we did find the the sessions that we did with people that we'd worked with before went the best. Yeah. Going cold into a session, like just say you and I were um, writing a song today, then it's the first time you've met someone. Like it's the, the trust thing in the songwriting thing is really important and the trust thing in terms of... Um, people getting vulnerable, letting their guard down, and sharing their their what's their secrets and whatever's happening for them. That's like really important for for collabing on songwriting. Is that bit bit more tricky online? I think
1: definitely. I feel um, I imagine that it would have kind of lost parts of the chemistry and also the as you said, if you're having to. Um, change like a little something in the song and then send it through and then they have to listen to it and then record it back and send it through. It kind of takes the magic out of being in the room and being able to kind of just work like on it instantly.
0: Absolutely. And that, that fuels the whole process, those things happening really fast and, and, um, that moment not being a crystallized thing, it's like a sequence It becomes like a, process rather than a natural occurrence is it takes the wind out of your sails a little bit, you know, like, yeah. So, but I mean, then getting back into the room with with artists and people to write songs after doing it on Zoom for so long felt like running on the Olympic track after (laughs) running in sand for, you know, this is like we were flying. It was great. Yeah.
1: For yourself, um, obviously Eskimo Joe have been around for um, around uh, 20, just over 20 years now, I think. Uh, 20, I think 24, I think. I was going to say, yeah. we spoke to Cav last year, and I think it was around 23, 24, yeah. Um, uh, for yourself, so there, there was a bit of a break in the last decade, and as we mentioned, you've gone on to, to producing and songwriting. What kind of led you to, um, I guess, this this now this other well known part of your career? What was the first kind of spark of maybe I want to write for other people or produce?
0: Um, I guess it, it probably would have been something that I would have been doing the whole time if Eskimo Joe had not, um, you know, become such a full time, all encompassing career thing. Um, but at the same time, that is, I wouldn't trade it for anything because, you know, working, um, with those two guys and working out how to make records, um, you know, we didn't collaborate with other writers or anything like that because that wasn't a done thing if you were an indie band <laughs> post Nirvana, you know, like that seemed like no one was doing that. Pop artists were, yeah. but. You know it wasn't a thing for a band like ours, and so we just had to work out how to to write songs and make records as we went through trial and error and hard work and doing it every single day, you know and and we did that, and that's how I learned to to do what I do and I learned so much off uh, working with Cav in particular about um songwriting and and things like that, and I think he he probably off me in a production aspect and arrangement and melody and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it was a really good um, uh, chemistry between us to to learn because the strengths and weaknesses kind of complemented each other. And then it set me up making those records with unbelievable producers. You know, we had proper budgets to spend six weeks in a recording studio with someone who'd been flown out from America and made records that we loved, you know, um, being in the room and soaking that up and making those records um, is you you can't pay for that. You know, um, you can go to school, a uh, uh, production school or whatever, but that's a different thing, yeah. you know, than actually doing it, you know. Um, I spent a lot, lot of time in studios with amazing people, through Eskimo Joe. So you just learn by osmosis, really.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, yeah,
1: it's great. Is there, there, um, with, I guess, all the knowledge that you have now and the the skills that you've built up, do you kind of listen back to some of those Eskimo Joe songs and, um, I guess, have, like, almost like a different lens or filter across uh, um, your eyes when when listening back? Like, oh, I could have... choose that better, or the songwriting we could have tweaked here, or I think, so. yeah,
0: I think so. There's certain moments in the or records in that six album career where I think we really got most of it as right as we could at the time, and and it, it was like, there's particularly the build up to the third album, like the second album was like this coming of age sort of record where we we have learned so much between the first and the second and there was a quantum leap in in you know the songwriting sensibilities in production in all those things and we were so we're always so confident like that that comes with being young as well yeah there's way less doubt in the room when you're 27 because you think you know everything <laughs> And then you look you look back now and you're like, I didn't know that much at all, yeah. really, but it <laughs> somehow worked. That confidence is got us through. Um, but, yeah, there's certain moments where we got it right, but I think the, the moments where we got it wrong, where I look back on a record like the one after Black Fingernails that kind of sounds more like a mixtape of three people who all wanted to do different things and couldn't get on the, the same page particularly, you know, those things are more about, not so much about knowledge, but more about the dynamic between the three people being wrong at that particular point. And the albums where we got it right we were all pulling in the same direction and 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 there's less ego involved, say, and, and those kind of things that are the enemy of creativity, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um so I think, it, interestingly, I was talking about it this to a friend the other day. The record after Black Fingernails, I think the Black Fingernails Red Wine had been such a successful record that when we're writing the next one or trying to make the next one, there was probably a bit more stubbornness, people standing their ground, a bit more ego in the room, which got in the way of of the creative process, and and that's kind of a you know that's a big that's a big thing, you know that that's a big thing to note and to look back on and go, gee, if we just sat down and talked and, got and, and bash those things out rather than being stubbornly, you know, bringing it into the process, we would have made a better record. Um, so you learn a lot from looking back with that perspective, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, definitely. Do you find, and again, obviously with age as we discussed does come like, um, Hindsight is an incredible thing, but do you find now when you guys are in the studio that they're, they're kind of, that's all now having families um, and everything else that there's almost no ego, that it is kind of just a much more creative and free-flowing kind of environment?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really great now, um, you know, not doing the band full-time. When we get together, we've got news to share with each other, that perspective of not just being, you know, you know, that band like Eskimo Joe that worked so hard and toured so hard was like being in quarantine with two other guys for <laughs> 17 years, you know, and um with that comes all of the cabin fever and all those sort of things. Now when we get in the room, like we have such respect for each other and love for each other as, as brothers, really. It's, it's almost, it's a family thing.
1: Yeah.
0: That, when we come at the creative process like that, the exchange is, is really fluid and really easy and there's less bullshit yeah. in the, you know, <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's about the song rather than about other noise, yeah. you know, going on because of the relationship. So it's been, it was really good. man.
1: That's cool. Really With, um, say something the uh, second half of last year and, and 99 ways uh, early this year. Can we expect um, possibly, an, I guess, an EP or a, a full length later on in the year or is that something that we uh, keep under wraps for now?
0: <laughs> Look, I, I can honestly answer that question in that we're, at the moment we're on a hit rate of one song per year. So... <laughs> 12 years down the track we'll have a new album <laughs> <laughs> at, at the rate we're going. But, you know, that might change if if the world opens up a bit and we can more freely spend time in the studio together, you know. Yeah. But that's where we're at at the moment. And we live in a singles world at the moment. You know, you, you we could happily do a song every six months or whatever and put it out and give our fan base something new to listen to and something for us to create. To satisfy that and that's kind of cool too
1: yeah definitely
0: but the idea of an the idea of an album seems like Everest
1: at the moment <laughs> it's like you
0: know <laughs> that's huge
1: um I feel like the album release uh kind of has changed within the last 12 to 15 months for obvious reasons mm-hmm. most musicians do mm. kind of uh I think decades gone by albums used to be the big money maker not that it's about money but you obviously want to be able to keep making music whereas touring mm. for years became the the bread and butter of it and with covid mm. kind of restricting that um I guess <laughs> for you guys I know that there was touring planned and that there has been a tour announced which we'll get to in a sec but Um, do you think that the whole, yeah, the whole release format of album tour has, has changed for good. Do you think that we'll go back to that or do you think it's kind of a bit more of a open landscape now? That's a
0: really good question. Like I'm not sure. I know that I think that a lot of good new music will come out of this. Um, because with that kind of hardship, I think, and pivoting or whatever you <laughs> want to call it in life, the good good art comes out of that and trying circumstances and, and, and having time to do those kind of things. I mean, for Eskimo Joe, we wouldn't have done, uh, we wouldn't have released these songs if it wasn't for COVID um, because we would have been busy playing shows and, just doing that and what do you do as a band if you can't play gigs it's like oh, we can't play gigs anymore for the first time let's let's put out a song for the first time in seven years yeah um but as far as that album tour album tour cycle i really hope it it returns because i think it's a it's a pretty natural cycle for for a band you know you spend six months writing and recording a record from from the writing stage and then you go and spend a year and a half touring it. The songs get better they grow they become new things as as you tour and you get to see the thing is is that when you spent all this time creating an album, writing the songs, recording it all that and then you get to see like in real time a reaction from an audience to this thing you've made that, you know, really until anyone else hears a song, does it really, does it exist? Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it exists to its creators, but it's not out in the world. And once you put it out in the world, then it's, then it you don't kind of own it as such anymore. It's, it's everybody's yeah. who want who is interested. And then to see that reaction in real time is so gratifying and, and it's such a reward, um, and it becomes real. So, uh, if we're stuck in a world where we can just where we can just make music and put it out, that's okay. But it's nowhere near as good as them going out and seeing people, it affects people in real time.
1: You know? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, and I think that informs the music you write after that. You know, because you see what people are really like. Uh, responding to or moved by or affected by or whatever, however you want to look at it. Definitely. And that that has to play into what you write
1: after that. Yeah, you know? I feel like it's almost, um, it's like a, it's a road test. You can see what works, what doesn't work, what hits um, and and kind of go from there. If, if you're wanting to, yeah, help that can help shape the music that you create after.
0: Totally. Otherwise you're just creating in a, in a, in a vacuum, really. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, there's there's positives to that, but it's good to have it balanced by going out and getting in front of people. You
1: know? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. You guys, um, this week announced the Black Fingernails, Red Wine in the City tour for next year, where you'll be playing the the two mm. uh, two of the biggest Eskimo Joy albums. I guess, mm. uh, firstly, how excited are you to get out <laughs> back playing shows? But um actually no we'll, ask, we'll stick with that question first we'll come back to the other one
0: oh man completely excited like i, f- I feel like the audience you know is going to be so uh so up for it and so so ready to go and see loud light music where you feel the kick drum hit you here and the physical aspect of it and the celebratory aspect and the community aspect and all those things, it's going to be amazing. I mean, it's, it's almost a shame that we have to wait 13 months until the first <laughs> show. But, um, you know, when, when, when uh, I got over to WA for that period during the hard lockdown in Melbourne, we, we did get to play, we got to play a 6,000 person festival us and John Butler when uh, down South in um, like, about two and a half hours south of Perth, and it was this big gig, and everyone went absolutely bananas at this gig because it was like a release yeah. of you know pent up tension or whatever it is, and, and and relief, and you know everyone appreciated it fully. It wasn't something people were taking for granted anymore. So, you know, it's, for all those reasons, we can't we can't wait for it, and and then going back and revisiting those records and and learning how to play them again. And, and the, the, the the thing about that is you're going through what you were doing musically then songwriting wise then. And, and you realize, you realize some things that you're kind of like, wow, I'd never do that now. (laughs) Or, you know, that's an interesting take, take on it. It seems so innocent, but it's good. You know, maybe you overthink things now or um, the more you learn. Is there, I
1: guess, a track or like a part of a song from either of those records? Uh, I guess one, is there one that you listen to now and you're like, oh, that's an interesting kind of um, take or like, sorry, is there one that you listen to now that at the time was a bit of a favourite and now you kind of question your um, your motives or or thoughts of, choices at the time and yeah the reverse is there's something that at the time you're like not my favorite and now has kind of got a special spot for you
0: i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me
1: For me, that wasn't an option.
0: I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's a good question too, man. <laughs> I do have to think about that. Um, I mean, there's, there are songs that weren't like the, the last track on Black Fingernails Red Wine is called How Does It Feel and that wasn't a prominent song on the record as in it wasn't a single uh, or anything like that. But when we play that live now, we probably have been for the year leading up to covid um we realised that that song, like, had a, a real weight and a real, like, live power to it that we probably hadn't appreciated uh, before. And when we played it, like, is one of those things where you can't help it when the band's playing it, gets up to a certain section and you look around and everyone on stage is just going, like, 110% and, and like, fully in, in the song. Yeah. And that doesn't happen with every song that you perform, but for some reason, this this thing, this song had that that thing, and that's probably something that we didn't maybe fully realise at, at that point in time. So that's a nice kind of revelation, I guess. Um, I think the song that from that whole period that that doesn't that seems to never wane. Or die in its potency or whatever is a song called from the sea which was the first single of a song is a city and i remember when we were making the film clip for that you know it's a whole day of hearing the song like <laughs> 700 times and snippets of the song and i clearly remember like having this immense doubt about this song i was like is this song even good <laughs> let alone very good or really good or whatever you know like is this just like rubbish kind of thing? <laughs> and it it was a as a real moment, and and then now we're um, that was two thousand and four, so that's what seventeen years ago. So now, now to this day, it's like I think it's the quintessential Eskimo Joe song, where all of our influences gelled in the most potent way possible probably those being the Pixies, uh, uh, um, the Beatles and then a bit of the police in there for, for hit factor. Yeah. Um, you know, police greatest hits. It's pretty (laughs) good. Um, so, so that main riff, you know, the, the piano kind of guitar riff is like very much like taken from the police, every breath you take kind of thing. And then the dynamic thing is very Pixies and then the modulations and the chords and all that, there's kind of a bit of Beatles going on there. So it's like for some reason that song is just never like uh, waned in its power or the way the crowd reacts to it or the way we love playing it. You know?
1: It's it's funny, just before um, mm. when we were talking about um, like creating music and without releasing it at you're uncertain of how it sounds. It is somewhat in a vacuum without that outside influence. Um, And then it's funny that you say that just because From the Sea ended up, I think, yeah, it is the quintessential Eskimo Joe song. I think that's the song that everyone, when you say, or you think of Eskimo Joe, everyone kind of goes to that chorus of, well, I'm not going to sing it, but (laughs) Mm. I'm not going to do Cavadish service, but yeah, yeah, it goes to the chorus. Yeah. Yeah, I just love it. It's
0: great. It's good to have one song like that, but you wouldn't
1: change anything. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, Joel, yeah. would you be happy to talk about one or two songs uh, that you had worked on from the playlist?
0: Man, yeah,
1: I'm all yours, dude. Uh, the first one I wanted to talk about was um, by Mercy Mercy, Fucked Myself Up.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Well, that was the first time that we, um, myself and Edwin, had worked with um, Mercedes, and she um, is this kind of really intriguing, slightly enigmatic character that is a lovely person but quite shy, especially on 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 first meeting. And um, we got in the the room with her and she had a ukulele. Um, And it usually starts with, um, you know, maybe chatting for 40 minutes or whatever about just getting to know each other and trying to get that, you know, that trust and that guard to drop, I guess, with any artist. And then we kind of said, oh, do you have any, anything, any ideas floating around? And... um, She plays Uke, so she sung basically the the whole of the first verse and then we were (laughs) like, well, that's sick. Uh, What what is the song about? And she kind of explained that it's about, um, you know, having massive social anxiety and using alcohol to medicate yourself in those scenarios but then that becoming a really destructive thing, and it's like you, she's at the point where she is basically sliding the, down the walls of the toilet cubicle and can't leave because she's so disabled by this by this anxiety in a social situation, and that's how she's choosing to deal with it, uh, which is by drinking excessively. And we're um, like, you know, that's amazing. The, the first verse and, and the pre-chorus were kind of there um, so then it was our job to, you know, write the rest, rest of the song. And, you know, we often start writing a song from scratch with writing the chorus um, because it's like, you know, that's your, it encapsulates everything that the song's about. It gives you something to shoot for with the narrative of the verses, all those things, all, all roads lead to that point kind of yeah. to make a potent, say, pop song or Indie pop song or whatever it is. Um, But with this, we had that verse and it was quite detailed. So it was about coming at it the opposite way where we had to boil it, boil something down from that, you know, that verse or that synopsis, if you like, into into a potent chorus. And there was a line in the pre where Mercy Song texting numbers on purpose, and I really like the phrasing and that on purpose kind of vibe. So um, I suggested for the chorus that we riff off yeah. that and have fucked myself up on purpose. and um, I think that hit hit on on a point and and we kind of expanded with the chorus lyrically from there um because too much is never enough what is it you want from me this shit doesn't come so easily so it was very like uh you know it's it's pretty direct it's also kind of conversational it's like it's honest and it and we were able to make the melodies so it ended up being pretty damn catchy as well (laughs) so we were pretty stoked but in in the process we were we had that Fuck myself up on purpose at the end of the chorus, and um, uh, the bridge, which is um, I'm I'm scared to be alone. That's why I don't go home. I think that opened the chorus at some point, and at some point, um, I remember making the yeah. chorus like, no, that Fucked myself up on purpose. That's the hook. Like, we, like, I think we should put that, and that's when we were into tracking the vocal. So sometimes you don't realise these things when you're writing until the artist gets on the mic and sings all the parts. And that's where where the song's at.
1: Another song that you have worked on, Joel, is um, Wooden Heart by Dustin Tebbett. How did that song kind of come about? And I guess where was the influence from that song? Or was it brought to you by Dustin or was it something that you took to him?
0: That song was something that he'd had... Um, kicking around for quite a while. He had um, pretty much the chorus there, um, but he couldn't break through. And this is from memory because this was quite a few years ago, but um, he sort of contacted me after uh, listening to the Meg Mac EP quite a bit. And he liked that. So he was like, I'm going to come over to Perth. I'd love to do a couple of songs. Um, And that one, he had a pretty solid idea with the chorus, but then it was about writing the rest of the song around that. And that was kind of early on in my, um, you know, going out there as a collaborative songwriter, I was more uh, kind of on the side of production and would occasionally write but it was always at that point, it was kind of often the rewriting, like I'd work with an artist and and they'd show me a song and i go, that that verse is amazing. If the chorus could come up and watch the whole song, it'd be amazing. So we'd sit down and like rewrite a different chorus or whatever it was. So I was coming at it, at it like that. Um, whereas now it's kind of from scratch, but with that particular song, he had that chorus and it was a, that was a matter of kind of coming up with progressions for the verse, building, building a vibe for the song. And then he's such a great lyricist and a picky lyricist as well and knows what he wants to say. I would say that he, you know, would have written 90% of those lyrics, you know, at breakfast before we get into the room to continue <laughs> working on the on the song yeah. and and he really likes to think it through and it's a slow, it's a long process for Dustin. It's not like, you know, some songs, you know, collabing lyrics can be written in a whole song in a, in an hour or something like that, which is quick when you think about you're also talking about what are we saying, what's happening in the song, that's what's the scenario. What do we where do we go with the second verse kind of thing? He's he he did that. Um separate from me and then bought it in and then I'd tweak certain lines but he was certainly like driving that side of things and and then after that it was a matter of me being really particular about um melody um I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler for for melody and you know it was sort of when we went into got into doing vocal takes you know, it was a lot of talk back, um, you know, he'd sing, I'd kind of go, okay, this note should go here, let's do it again. And he's like such such a champion and so hardworking that I pushed him super hard and we got to the place, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was really good. And he, he'd never done his vocals with someone else at that point. I think he'd just done them by himself. So that was a new, new thing him but really enjoyable he's such a talented dude and, and you know I, I actually can't take heaps of credit for that song lyrically at all um, but as far as where the melodies ended up and the shapes of those and, and how the songs put together in the verse and all those kind of things that that was kind of how that worked I mean every collaboration is slightly different with every artist because they bring something different to the table and you've got to sort of mold yourself around that um so yeah that's that's one of the interesting things of doing this it's a different day every day and when you walk into the room you don't know what what the day is going to be i think doing production because you're kind of you're running running the session you're kind of captaining the how the song's being put together or whatever you there's a lot less doubt walking in to produce a song when the song already exists and it's written. But with writing a song, especially from scratch with artists, you walk in nervous every day. (laughs) And I I love that because if you, if you write a crap song, you feel crap until you write a good one. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like, you know, you take your work home with you a bit, you're like, oh. You didn't write a great song. I'm rubbish. You know, like it. It. You put that kind of pressure on yourself, whether that's healthy or not, I don't know. But um, I guess it's setting a standard of sorts. But I love the feeling of being nervous, walking into a a session. You just don't know what's going to happen, and it makes when you do write a good song, and you leave that day, it feels like such a triumph. You know, it's like you feel like celebrating almost, you know, <laughs> you're that stoked. Yeah. It's like we did, we did that out of nothing. That's amazing. Yeah. You know? um, and people will hear it hopefully and, and and like it and that's, you know, an incredible feeling.
1: Do you have a preference of when um, people have like a song that's maybe finished 75% Um compared to when you can kind of walk in and almost start from scratch with them is there like do you feel like you're overstepping a line somewhat if they've already finished like a good 80% of the song and you're just kind of tweaking if that sorry if that question
0: No, hand. no. Yeah, yeah it, it totally does. I'm just thinking that um it's I if you're asking what I prefer Nowadays I probably prefer coming in with no song and starting from a two-hour conversation that comes to a fine point about what we're going to write the song about to, to as fine a point as what it's going to be called before we start writing it. Yeah. You know, so then it's really about speaking to the artists about you know. you somehow get onto what's going on in, in your life and hope that they open right up and you start talking and then you start relating about things that, that you can relate to them and scenarios and you get down to particular scenarios and in the, the whole time you're taking notes in your, in your head about okay what's what's this song about and then furthermore boiling it down to almost what it's going to be called. So you're noting key words as the conversation's happening and key phrases that uh, the artist is saying or that you're saying and you're just banking that stuff the whole time during this conversation where there's a really real conversation about what's going on for that person in their life and and, and for you and yours and, and those kind of things. Yeah. So when you get to that end of that hour and a half, then you go, well, hopefully part of your job as a collaborative songwriter is going, okay, so really what we're talking about is this. And perhaps this could be what the song's called. And, you know, that might be a moment where the artist goes, yeah, that's that's it. Or they'll go, I think we're talking about this and it should be called this. And you're like, yes, you know, like (laughs) getting it to that finer point before you actually start writing is, is huge in writing a good song. Like when I first started collaborating with artists on a daily basis, you can, it's easy to get into a habit of picking up a guitar or pick, or going to a piano, starting to play chords and, and uh, singing a melody with gobbledygook. Yeah. Lyrics, you know just like blah 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 or whatever coming up with a sick melody and sick chord progressions high-fiving going to lunch and then coming back and going <laughs> what are we writing a song about like you think you you think you've won and but you haven't you know like you haven't got the song and having that there before you start writing having that fine point just makes it so much more potent and um, so that's that's what what we kind of do and how we come at it, and um, you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And some days lightning strikes, and some day some days it doesn't, and yeah, yeah, that's the exciting part. Like I said, you just never know.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's um, mm. I think what makes songwriting yeah just extremely interesting is that it's it's literally pulled from nothing, and then it can. Uh, as you said, if lightning strikes, it can, um, I guess, what's the best way to put it? It can really just uh, become part of people's lives. And then, if yeah, if it doesn't, well, sometimes I don't hear it if it doesn't, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a wild and magical kind of thing.
0: Totally, man. I, there's this song that I wrote with um, G Flip um, called uh, Bring Me Home, and that was, um, that was really great. Like she she's such a great writer and so um, you know I just jumped on a piano started playing some chords we we actually came at it the opposite way to what I was just talking about as in played some chords she kind of pressed record on an iPhone started to uh, sing some melodies without really having lyrics for 45 minutes straight and as it as that 45 minutes went on, uh, I was kind of uh structuring the chords and the progression and giving it an arc, I guess, like uh, a verse pre-chorus kind of thing and sort of working that out. We weren't even talking to each other really. We were just like literally making music and sing. Yeah. And that was it for 45 minutes. And then by the end of that 45 minutes, we pretty much had that, the whole song as far as uh, the shape, the structure, the emotion, the melodies, that were, it was pretty much all there. And then we just listened to it and picked out all oh, the bits, 25 minutes that happens, that's our chorus. At 35 minutes this happened, that's the, that's the bridge, you know. I think the verse took a bit more work, but then we were getting into writing lyrics, And we we went back to just talking about scenarios and and she was sharing, um, you know, about a particularly tough time when she was touring for, you know, three, four, five months straight in America in a band that she was in at the time. She was playing drums and she just got, you know, it just got away from her emotionally and she got into a a pretty, I guess, you know, dark place and that led to a bit of, you know, self-destruction or self-destructive sort of um, ten things ten going ten. on with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and the song is about just speaking to someone on the other side of the world who is back home just going, I need you to bring me back because I'm lost at sea art, you know, kind of thing. And it's causing anxiety for the first time in my life. It's causing me to hurt, or like, not treat myself well at all and get into scenarios that I would never think that I'd get into. And, you know, we had that conversation and then we came up uh, with the title. We were like, oh, it probably needs to become uh bring it home. Um and then from there the lyrics came quickly and then we'd written it on the piano <coughs> like that. So we always thought, okay, now let's let's produce it like a banger. And so we took it into the studio, started putting beat beats down, synthesise all the all this sort of stuff, bass parts, rah, 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 and building this big track. And uh, Georgia was putting vocals down on that. And it was kind of, it was still a good song, but it just didn't have that that thing, mm. that feeling that we were getting when it was just her and I in the room, me on the piano and her singing. And, it, and at the last minute of the day, uh, I kind of said, oh, let's do it let's do a version like we were doing in there. So I literally put two mics up on the piano. She stood next to me, sung into the microphone and we did one take of the song. And that's, that's the release version. That's it. So it's almost like we spent a day and a half trying to rock, trying to make the song <laughs> and then we just did it in 3.5 minutes. You know, it was, it was great.
1: I, I love stories like that where it's kind of the original kind of magic is what made it. Um, but I do, obviously I don't enjoy the fact that you guys had gone through those many hours of uh, making it a banger to, for it not to have worked out like that.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's almost like the lyric we need to bring, bring the song home. And that was just us playing it like that. and mm. She loved it. I, I, I I don't think she'd done something like that before that always the G flip songs to that point had been pretty big product, you know, banger productions. Yeah. So it's really vulnerable. So it suited the song. It's done really well. And as in it, you know, it's been on uh, synced on quite a few American TV shows and stuff like that. So it's, it's nice when a song goes out into the world and, and you kind of look on the, the YouTube clip of it and people are commenting, I saw this, song on this show called all, all American or whatever it is. And there's heaps of people going, wow, this song's really powerful. And it's connecting with people like through those avenues is, is pretty
1: magic. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as you said earlier, it's just about empathy and, and the, uh, the human condition is what we all go through. So the fact that it connects, you know, that you guys um, are doing something right.
0: Yeah. Um, you can get lost in technicality and, and, and you know how good is this chord progression or whatever it is but at the end of the day it doesn't mean any it doesn't mean nearly as much as as that one thing that you just said then basically yeah. that's what we're trying to do
1: really uh, well you're doing yeah. a very good job of it Joel um we do appreciate it <laughs> thanks man thank you <laughs> all good all good um uh, uh, look again I am very conscious of the time um Joel thank you very much for being on the podcast it is very much appreciated Thanks Simon, thanks for having
0: me bro It's awesome, thank you
1: And that's our show Thank you again to Joel Cordemain and Eskimo Joe Their new single 99 Ways is out now You can find a link to their Spotify in the show notes Where you can listen to the new song We also want to give a quick shout out to Jade at Beehive PR For helping out with today's interview You can also find a link to our Spotify playlist in the show notes Where you'll be able to listen to all of the songs that Joel's worked on If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Thursday morning with guest playlist streaming on Spotify at the same time. You can follow the playlist profile on Spotify and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Until next week, cheers.